they realized fully everything Jesus had been teaching, and they began to understand the things that he spoke about. And not only that, I believe that they were drunk with joy at experiencing the liberation from religion and coming into the freedom of Jesus Christ. I believe that they were drunk because the shackles of servitude, of religion, of rules and laws that they couldn't keep were suddenly gone and they felt a weight lifted. Amen. And anyone who's come out of religion and has come into the freedom of the relationship of knowing Jesus knows what I'm talking about. Amen. And so I think that they were just dilly and not in a negative sense, but full of joy through the Holy Ghost. Amen. And so Paul tells us in Romans 14 that the kingdom of God is not a matter of food and drink. In other words, the food and the drink concerning the rituals and laws of Moses. So it's not talking about our modern clothes and what we eat and drink. He was talking about all the ceremonial eatings and drinkings and washings and the way that you would dress. And he says, but the kingdom of God in Christ is righteousness, peace, and joy. So let me just see a bit of joy. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. So a week after, but I wanted to just talk about the incredible gift of the Holy Spirit. You know that very often when we talk about the baptism in the Holy Spirit as Pentecostal, charismatic Christians, we have in our minds, possibly, possibly we have in our minds the gift of tongues. Now I want to just tell you that it's far bigger than the gift of tongues. Although tongues is important, and last week I gave you nine points on the supernatural power of speaking in tongues. One of them that I mentioned right at the end, maybe you didn't get it, is that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. Is that okay? I mentioned it right at the end. The day of Pentecost is bigger than tongues. Is that okay? Although tongues is important, I'm not downplaying it. Listen to what Acts 2.38 says. And Peter said unto them, repent. This is when he was explaining the incidents around the day of Pentecost and when the people were saying, what must we do to be saved? This man who was afraid of the Jews now was boldly confronting them in their sermon. What changed? This is what changed. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of tongues. Ye shall receive the gift of the the evidence being tongues. Is that okay? So it says, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The evidence will be tongues. But what do you receive? You receive the Holy Spirit. Now, one thing that I want you to understand is that when we look at salvation, we tend to compartmentalize. We tend to break things up into pieces, and we do that very often for the sake of teaching. So we'll talk about the day somebody gave their life to Jesus and got saved. Then we'll talk about a little while later they got baptized in water. Then we'll talk about a little while later they got baptized in the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues. Amen. But as far as the Bible is concerned, those are all facets of the one unit of salvation. God did not intend for it to be separated. But the old-timey Pentecostals did it like this. You gave your life to Jesus. You confessed Jesus. You started coming to church. Then you had to clean your life up and show that you were really saved before you got baptized in water. Do you know what I'm saying? And that's not what it's supposed to be, because he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Is that okay? On the same day, 3,000 people got saved on the day of Pentecost. They were immediately baptized in water. Is that okay? And then we give them a little bit of time, you know, because then we tell them things like this. Oh, now that you've been baptized, you know, when Jesus, after he was baptized, he was led into the wilderness and he was tempted of the devil. So we preach a great salvation. Then we baptize the people. And now we tell them, now you're going to go through a season of testing and the devil's really going to come against you, you know, and we put the fear of hell back into them. What is the matter with the Christians? I mean, it's terrible. And so how about now you're born again, you baptize in water, you're out of slavery, you're out of the land of Egypt, you're into the land of promise. Because they'll always say, and then you're going to go through the wilderness. The wilderness is not necessary. 
and so then now, you know, you can't receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit because you know the Holy Spirit is holy and he only comes to those who are holy. So you've got to wait six months and prove that you've been through the wilderness, you've been tested of the devil, you've come out on the other side, now you're good enough to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. But you know, it should be happening in our church when they get saved. We should put them in the water, bring them out, teach them, lay hands on them, let them get baptized in the Holy Spirit. You see, it's all part and parcel of the salvation that we talk about. Amen? So Paul tells us in Ephesians, listen to what he says. So Ephesians 4, 46 says this. There is one body. There's how many bodies? One body. One body. There's actually two. One is the body of unbelievers and the other is the body of believers. But only the one counts. Okay, there's one body. How many spirit? One spirit. Just as you were called in one hope of your calling, verse 5, and there's how many lords? One Lord, but actually there's three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but they were unity. Isn't that right? There's how many faiths? One faith. How many baptisms? One baptism. So what is Paul talking about? Paul is talking about that there's actually one baptism, just like there's one Lord with three facets. There's one baptism with three aspects. And so when we get saved, when we give our lives to Jesus, we experience the first baptism because we are baptized into Christ. When we are water baptized. Is that okay? So listen to Galatians 3, 26 to 28. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Is that okay? So when you give your life to Jesus, no interruptions, baptized in water, you are baptized into Christ, into, and therefore you've put on Christ. You are immersed in Christ. And at, at the same time, in that one baptism that is expressed by your confession of your salvation and then immersion in water, secondly, you are also baptized into the body of Christ. Are you listening? Good. So 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jew or Greek, slave or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Is that good? So when you got saved, when you got water baptized, which was one of the baptisms, but that's got two aspects to it. You were baptized into Christ, and then at the same time, you were baptized into the body. All right. That is, once for all, not to be repeated. Is that okay? Pastor John, what about people who backslide? Well, they've just backslidden. They haven't been disowned. Amen? He didn't disown them. Because that which is born of God is permanently born of God. Is that okay? Yeah. If you backslide, you don't lose your salvation. Because just as easy as you backslid, you can frontslide. I'm a frontslider permanently. Is that right? I'm a permanent frontslider. That's why I sit even on the front chair. Because I want to be right at the front. Are you good? Listen, if you sin, it doesn't mean you lose your salvation. It may affect your relationship with the Lord and with others, but you don't lose your salvation. Your salvation is not that fragile that if you start to maybe go through a period of doubt and disbelief and maybe sin and whatever, God doesn't cut you off. You don't cease to be his child. You're still his son. You're still his daughter. You just need to come back to the realization of it. That's what the story of the prodigal son is all about. Amen? Are you with me, church? And so it's incredible, the salvation that we have. Somebody asked me the question once, do you believe someone can lose their salvation? And I said, I'm going to answer you like this. Our salvation is not that fragile. Our salvation is not that fragile, is it? Amen? So it's not um, fragile salvation. You know what amazes me? You watch people come back to the Lord. And they come back to the Lord. And they've been away from the Lord for years. And in two Sundays, they're fully back to where they were. Yeah, Did they get saved again? No. 
they just came back to a realization of who the father was. And the father was waiting for them. And he said, here's my best robe. It's the robe of righteousness. Remember, you used to have access to it. You know, it's yours. And then he says, here's my ring. You can put it back on the finger. And he restores their authority. Because whatever they put that signet on is theirs. They own it. Is that okay? And he puts the best shoes on their feet, which means I restore your inheritance entirely. I mean, that's amazing. You know, and here we are, Sunday after Sunday. Sunday. I'm, not, I'm not encouraging backsliding. And here we are, Sunday after Sunday, and we're slogging it out and all this kind of thing. And a prodigal comes home, and it's like God falls over himself to bless them. And then they're right back where they were. And sometimes they just, you know, in three weeks, they're further ahead than when they left. That's the awesomeness of salvation. And then the next baptism is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. We refer to it as the baptism in the Holy Spirit. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is also part of it because it's immersion into the Spirit, you know, by the Spirit. But the amazing thing is, is that when we accept Jesus, we are put into His body. We are placed into Him. When we get baptized in the Holy Spirit, He places Himself in us. Oh, come on, that was a really good one. You didn't think of that. I thought of that. All right. So when we get saved, we are placed into Christ. When we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, Christ is placed into us. Amen. So now you're not only in Him, but He's in you. Wow. I just think that's really awesome. Someone said, what's the difference between us being in Christ and Christ being in us? A simple answer is not 100%, but I think it's 99.8, is that when I'm in Christ, it's, I stand before the Father in Christ, in other words, completely justified. And as far as the Father is concerned, He sees Christ when He looks at me. The other is when I face the world, they see Christ in me. Is that all right? And so they begin to then experience the power. So the one is access, and the other one is manifestation. Hallelujah. So the other thing about this baptism in the Holy Spirit, it's a once-off experience, but it requires regular infillings. So it's amazing. If you look at the early church, if you look at their meetings, they were exuberant about speaking in tongues. So much so that Paul has to go like, okay now, guys, okay now, guys. You know, it's the opposite of what we experience here in ACF. Come on, everybody, let's pray in the Holy Ghost. And then, you know, J.D. stands up here. And then he's trying to stir us up. And then if he stops praying, you can hear a faint hubbub somewhere, you know. Over there, Paul had to say, listen, you guys are a bit loony. You're a little bit over the top. I mean, imagine attending one of those Corinthian church meetings. You arrive in the parking lot and you just hear this noise. You know, I used to have a group of crazy people like that in ACF. And uh, where the offices are was a double garage. And we started converting it into offices and it was used for youth and things like that. And uh, the roller shutter doors were down. And one of my friends invited his friend from work. And um, those days where the offices are was my house. And uh, so when people arrived at church, they first came to my house. Uh, I don't know why, because I was here. But they used to pitch up to the house, hoping they would catch me before the service for a cup of coffee before the service. That's how coffee and eats evolved in the church rather than in my house before church. But anyway, so he brought his friends and they walked past the youth hall, which was the double garage, which also served as the youth hall. But you know, it's got those roll-up shutter doors, eh? And they walked past and there was a noise coming out of there, almost like people were banging the doors. People praying. And he walks past and he looks and he goes like, what's that? <laughs> what's going on in there? So Tony says to him, I don't know, they make that noise every week. <laughs> I think it's praying. <laughs> You know, come on, I mean, we need that. You know, I think we become too refined, too respectable. You know, there was a prophet that came and visited the denomination, the AFM, the AGS, and he visited them. 
um, somewhere in the 70s. Mr. Fox, I believe his name was. And you know what? He stood up, and at that stage, the National Party was in power, and the AFM was looking to be recognized by the government, like the Dutch Reformed and the Hatformed Karakoa, the three sister churches. And um, he stood up and he prophesied to the AGS, and he said, in your push to be respectable and accepted by the government, you have sacrificed your power. You've sold out your birthright. And from then, the AFM as a denomination, they gained credibility with the government, but they lost all their power. Sometimes we are so self-conscious, and we want to be so respectable and so in charge that we don't give over to the Lordship of the Holy Spirit. He won't make you. The spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. There is something in spoken out, audible prayer. There's a power in it. There is a power when you pray audibly and you hear yourself praying. There is a power in corporate audible prayer. There is a power in corporate audible praying in tongues. And the Corinthian church, although Paul was trying to bring a balance, he didn't say, stop doing it. And we talk about it. Oh, brother, you know, the Bible says, I've had this question so many times. Why do you get people to pray in tongues? You know, Paul says, you need to be quiet and it's got to be interpreted and decently in order and all that kind of thing. You know, because they misunderstand that there's different exercising, different manifestations of speaking in tongues, praying in tongues. Amen. I mean, didn't he not say that praying in tongues can be praising God? Well, is that not a corporate thing? I mean, speaking mysteries from your spirit, is that not a corporate thing? Come on, church, and we get so respectable in one sense, but so self-conscious in the other. I mean, this is family for goodness sake. You know, what about one day when we're all in heaven? What about one day when we're there and the noise is like the sound of a multitude of waters? Yes. What are you going to stand there and just go and stand on the fringe and say, Jesus, a bit too loud and a bit too excited here for me, a bit too exuberant, you know. And he'll say, well, there's another place if you would like to go. Yeah. Come on, church. Yeah. Come on, where is the joy? Where is the exuberance? Where is the Pentecostal flame? So they were regularly filled. At least four or five times, there's a reference to where Peter was, and it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So there was one baptism, regular infillings. Come on, church. When we get together on a Sunday, this should be another occasion in the week where we get filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. 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 When we go like, yeah, I had a week from hell, but fortunately I'm in heaven now being with the saints. Amen. I mean, this is an opportunity to get filled. That's why in the early church, when they were experiencing revival, they sang things like, Give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning. Give me oil in my lamp, I pray. Give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning, burning, burning. Keep me burning till the break of day. You know, when I was a kid, they used to accuse us of switching off the lights crawling around on the floor looking for the Holy Spirit. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. I mean, Lord, let that happen again. You know, where it's like, I'm not looking for him. I found him. In fact, he found me, and I can't stand because of the way to the glory. I mean, when last did you crawl under the chairs? Except looking for the bubble gum that other people stick under there. But I mean... When last were we under the chairs in the power of God just going, because I'm too drunk? We should be here to be getting filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why they use terminology like, you was an awesome service. My batteries are charged up again. So many infillings, many infillings. You can get filled during the week. You can get filled singing and worshiping in your car. Most certainly, when we get to church, we should be being filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's not a nice suggestion from Paul. It's not a piece of advice. 
but from the Apostle Paul, it's actually a command in Ephesians 5, 18. Be being continuously filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. I mean, imagine telling a drinker, you can only get drunk once a year. On a certain day, let's call it Pentecost, in the pub. And you tell him, you can only drink once a year. He's going to show you some fingers. Get out of here, he's going to say, or something like that. I mean, they regularly go down to the pub to get filled. Why do you think the baptism in the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit is likened to drunkenness because it should do something to us? Amen? It should make us joyful. It should fill us and make us powerful. It should make us generous like the guys in the pub. You know, I have another drink, rise one me, you know. And it should do something. It should cause us to sing. I don't know if you've ever seen the shyest person, once he's got a few of those in there, I mean, he can sing and he doesn't care about what anybody thinks. Amen. Amen. But we are so dignified, so held together, so self-aware that, you know, we don't even want someone else to hear us singing. I don't care if I can't sing in, in tune. I don't care. I'm not singing for you. I'm singing for him. I don't care if you hear me speaking in tongues and thinking that's a strange tongue. No, I don't care. Number one, you don't understand what I'm saying. So who cares? Number two, I'm speaking to God. I'm uttering mysteries with my spirit. I'm praising God. I'm confusing the devil with my language. I'm interceding probably for you. So you should be glad that I'm praying in tongues. Can I have an amen? This is one week after Pentecost. Is that all right? So they were regularly filled with the Holy Spirit. I just love the meetings. They're, you just read the book of Acts about their services and things like It's absolutely brilliant. So the outcome, the outcome, listen to Acts 2 verses 24 to 27. And they continued steadfastly. They, the new disciples, the 3,000, and the others that were there continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. In other words, they were into the word and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and prayers. And fear came upon every soul and many wonders, many, many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. Everyone say many wonders and signs. Okay, this is one week after Pentecost. The week before Pentecost, only when they went out under a direct command of Jesus did they see any miracles. So let's discount that. But suddenly, the apostles, one week after Pentecost, remember, remember they couldn't cast the demons out of that little boy. Now, one week after Pentecost, the Bible says, that many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. What changed, church? It was the day of Pentecost. It was when the Spirit came. Yes, the evidence was speaking in tongues. But they'd already been placed into Christ when He breathed on them. They'd already been baptized in water somewhere in their wanderings around with Jesus in the three and a half years of ministry. But now the day of Pentecost... It's not just that they're in Christ and in his body. Now Christ is in their bodies. And something radically changes. Something happens, church. Come on. I'm trying to encourage us that if we say that we are Pentecostal and I've got the sign of tongues, that there are some other signs that need to accompany that because the signs of Pentecost are not only speaking in tongues. I'm reading a few now, but we'll touch on them. And it says, and they, all that believed were together. They were together. They had all things in common, sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat or their meals with gladness and singleness of heart. So they had meals together, praising God and having favor of all the people. Listen, church, the thing that you fear the Bible shows us is the exact opposite. 
We think people were ridiculous for being on fire. Here the Bible tells us that they received great favor from people. So what are we ashamed of? What are we embarrassed of? What are we afraid of? That somewhere out in the world, people will look at us and think, oh, you don't believe that stuff, do you? No, I absolutely 100% do. What stuff do you believe? Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily as such should be saved. So we looked at their church services. And I just want to mention one verse, 1 Corinthians 14, 26 to 32. You can read it yourself. He said, how is it that, brethren, when you come together, every one of you, every one of you got something when you come together. Some of you just got tired. Some of you just got a headache. Some of you just got, I wish that I didn't have to come to church today. Some of you have got like, yes, it was really busy and I could have done much more with this time than being in church. But listen to them, when they came together, every one of them had something to bring. One hath a psalm, one hath a doctrine, one hath a tongue, one hath a revelation, one hath an interpretation. Let all things be done to the edifying of the body and the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Come on, how do we come to church? One week after Pentecost, do we look just exactly the same like before? What's the difference between our churches and the Stilter Carrot? Come on, church. Where is the manifestations of the Holy Spirit? Hallelujah. So I want to give you quickly, in 15 minutes, I'm going to give you seven signs, seven other signs other than speaking in tongues. If you can speak in tongues because you've received the Holy Spirit, there should be at least another seven signs that show that you've received the Spirit of God, that you've been baptized into Christ, into His body, and He's now in your body. Are you all ready? Number one, their prayer lives changed. In fact, they received a prayer life. Number one, because the Bible tells us they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, to prayer, to fellowship, to breaking bread, etc., etc., etc. So they began to pray. But church, I want you to notice the prayers of the early church. Suddenly, there was a different focus to their praying. They had a kingdom focus to their prayers. Because when the Spirit came, they realized what their commission was, what their purpose was on earth, what they were supposed to be doing. So their purpose, their prayer life changed. Come on, church. Many Christians pray selfishly. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, please bless the bed that I lay on. It's that kind of praying in the church. Oh, Lord, bless us for and no more. Where is the sense of commission? Where is the sense of burden? Where is the sense of responsibility? That was the whole reason for the period of 50 days from Passover to Pentecost. There was a transfer of responsibility. Do we pray with the heart of God? Because suddenly these disciples realized, oh my goodness, this is our purpose. This is our mandate. This is our mission. This is our commission. And so their whole prayer lives took a different change, and suddenly they're not praying, oh Jesus, bless me, the boss is being nasty, the fellow worker is like this, oh please pastor, pray, because my toe is sore, oh you know, and all of that kind of fooey, you know, how about praying for yourself for those things, how about being nice, a good worker at work, and then your boss won't give you a hard time, how about winning your fellow worker with love, and be a a Christian, amen church, And suddenly the prayer lives became, oh, Father, let your kingdom come. Jesus, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Remember when they go to the gate, beautiful, Peter and John, heal the lame man, Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 4, they're in front of the religious leaders. You're not to preach in this name anymore. Judge for yourself. Do we obey you or do we obey God? Come on. This is a week after Pentecost. A week after you got baptized in the Holy Spirit, were you still just speaking in tongues? I'm exhorting all of us, amen? So um, what I'm doing is outlining this is where we're going. Come on, we re- didn't receive the Holy Spirit's pinky just to speak in tongues. We received all of Him. Amen. The fullness of the deity amen. dwells in us. The Spirit of God in us. Amen. amen? Pray for anything and everything that's sick. Just pray. Just do something. And their prayers took on incredible Focus, because in Acts chapter 4, 
when they were told, you're not to preach in this name anymore and, and do what you're doing. So they go back, the other disciples are there praying. So they quote Psalm 2. You know, I've said it before. They said, this is exactly Psalm 2. We understand what's happening. This spirit of the Antichrist is against the Christ in us. So they said, hey, there's, there's just no ways. We won't even entertain that kind of thought. So they said, Lord, stretch out your hand to perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus, and enable us to speak your word with more boldness. And the place where their meeting was shaken. Why? Because they're praying purposefully. They're praying kingdom-wise. They're praying commission-centered prayers. So number two, the second thing is they worked the word. That's incredible. Because Paul tells us, you know, study to show yourselves approved. A workman that rightly divides the word and needs not be ashamed. And so, you know, a lot of these things became, the, the seven things that I'm mentioning to you became the core values of the early church. It defined the culture of the early church. And so the second thing is they got into the word because suddenly when the Holy Spirit came, you know, most of Jesus' ministry, when Jesus was saying things, they were going, oh, you know, what's he talking about? Do you want to sit? I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. It was only right at the end they say, okay, now you're talking plainly. Now you're making sense. You know, we read it and we go like, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Well, it's because we have the Holy Spirit when we're reading it. Yeah. They didn't have the Holy Spirit when they were reading it and when they were hearing Jesus. They're going like, what was he talking about? I don't know. You know, beware of the bread of the Pharisees. It's because we didn't bring Salmis with. Yeah. You know. Now suddenly they understand. The word comes alive. There's a love for the word. They devote themselves to the apostles' doctrine. They work the word. They realize the words of Christ were not suggestions. That they were life. That it was truth. And they gave themselves over to the word of God. The second sign of Pentecost is that you'll work the words. In other words, you'll study it yourself, but you will live the word. But not only that, you will want to declare the word as a witness because this word is truth and it's sweet in your mouth. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. Amen. It should bring about a word revolution, the Holy Spirit. Number three. Are you getting something? Number three is that they lived in love. They lived in love. They lived in love with God. They absolutely loved him. They loved the Lord Jesus, that they gave their lives. Every single one of those apostles died cruel deaths except John, the beloved, who died a natural death, they say. Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't figure it was worthy to be crucified the same way up as his Lord. I'm not worthy to be crucified. So he required to be crucified upside down. That's how much they loved Jesus. Yet when he was crucified, they all ran away from him without exception. See, when the Spirit comes, you'll bring about a love revolution in your heart. First of all, for him. I keep falling in love with him over and over and over and over again. I keep falling in love with him over and over and over and over again. See that when the Spirit comes, He's the Spirit of love. Listen, you will fall in love with each other. There won't be room for criticism and disrespect and dishonor. The Bible says they were all together as one. Suddenly, this group of people, one was a zealot, one was a tax collector. They were from all these different backgrounds. You know, you can imagine Simon the zealot sitting with a knife clenched in his teeth at dinner time around the fire looking at Matthew, the traitor, you know, treacherous tax collector for the Romans with a, you know, a glint in his eye going like, he's just got to turn his head. And now the Bible shows us how they're absolutely in love with each other. First of all, they've been transformed in their own individual lives. But they've been transformed also inwardly and personally. And suddenly they look at each other and it's like, hey, I love this brother. I mean, didn't Jesus say, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, 
if you have loved one. And I mean, he took the most extreme <laughs> 12 that he could find, and he puts them together, and he walks a road with them. And it was on the day of Pentecost when it finally came together, and suddenly this band of men and all of the others that were there are wilded together into a force that took the then-known world. I mean, Thaddeus and Bartholomew preached in Armenia where I've preached. What an honor to go and preach there where Thaddeus and Bartholomew preached. And then Apostle John goes and preaches there from 1994. Woo. Hallelujah. I mean, isn't that awesome? And so they lived in love. The Bible tells us as well that when they saw that someone was in need, they sold something and gave it to them. I'm not talking about enabling. I'm talking about, you know, genuine need and genuinely blessing. Is everybody following me? They were selfless in their service. Six minutes to do a few, few more. They were selfless in their service. It's amazing to me that in our modern world, we've got modern technology. We've got dishwashers and washing machines. We've got all the modern conveniences. We've got cars. We've got phones. We've got everything. But isn't it incredible that everything is more of an inconvenience for us now than ever before? If they wanted a meal, they'd have to go out and get the lamb and kill it first. Remember when Abraham entertained the three, and he says to Sarah, go and kill the fatted calf. And they've got to do it right. You talk about, hey man, there wasn't Willie's Dash or whatever they're called. You know, you had to dash into the fields. First, you had to catch the animal. Then you had to kill it. Then you had to skin it. Then you had to gut it. Then you had to cut it up. Then you had to cook it. You know, you got to take the, the grain, and then you got to pound it. But yet they had time for each other. And in our modern society where we can just push buttons, everything is a, too much of an inconvenience. Oh, it's not convenient now, brother. I'm having supper. Well, I'm dying. Can you please pray for me? No, I mean, when I'm finished supper, then I'll, if you're still alive. Because right now it's not convenient for me. They were selfless, selfless in service, selfless. It's a sign of the Holy Spirit's indwelling. Now, I remember that I'm not talking about an imbalance, but I'm talking about it still is a fact that most often in secular relationships, they're prepared to do more for each other than Christian relationships. My car's broken down. It's okay, bro. I'll be there now. Phone a Christian. Phone a Christian. My car's broken down. Um, well, um, I'll pray about it. When we're talking one week after Pentecost, what a revolution happened. Yeah. What changed? These people that were a group of individuals, self-focused, self-orientated, became selfless in service. It says in Acts 2, 46 to 47, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number. Look at how they got around. Uh, verse 32, Acts chapter 4. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Verse 34. That there were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money for the sales, put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. And that's the early church. That's just after Pentecost. What a description of a group of people that are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Number five, they preached with power. They preached with power. Their words were not empty. Their words were not meaningless. Their words were powerful words because they were filled with the Word of God. They were focused on the commission and they weren't into, you know, image enhancement or self-improvement. They preached the absolute pure Word of God and now they were indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So when they spoke under his unction, their words were powerful. We've already explained it to you. So now you might think, okay, Pastor John, but that was the apostles. No, it wasn't just the apostles. It was all the believers. 
And so here was Stephen, part of the church. He was selected with the seven to serve and to wait on tables and to distribute the food to the widows. And when persecution comes, they split after the stoning of Stephen. And Philip goes into Samaria, but he's got the same commission as the apostles. He's got the same commandment of Jesus burning in his heart. He's got the same spirit of God as the apostles have indwelling him. He's been praying like they pray. He's been into the word like they have. He was selected because of his selfless service. He goes into Samaria wrought with witchcraft. And there's a wizard there known as the great power of God, Simon. And he starts to preach and great miracles happen. The whole city gets saved and it's not one of the apostles. It's a believer who preaches. And then the apostles go. Then they lay hands on And then you know the rest is history. Amen? Come on, church. This is now just a few weeks after Pentecost. Can I have an either an anar or an amen? Amen. Okay, so amen. So this is what we're becoming. Isn't that right? We're going to start to see the other signs of Pentecost, not just tongues. It's safe to sit in this building and once a week, that's if you come every week, is to stand here and pray, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. What about the other signs of the Spirit? What about the other signs? What about these things? What are we doing? So number five, they preached with power. I love it. Acts 8, 4 to 5 tells us about Philip. And then they moved in miracles, number six. They moved in miracles. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. So I remember I just said to you that Philip was not one of the apostles. He just got there, saw a need grabbed a soapbox, stood on it, and started preaching, and God showed up. It says, when the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, he performed, not the apostles, it says the apostles, but now here is a deacon in the church. When they saw the signs he performed, look at the person next to you and say, you're going to perform the signs and the wonders. And he says, They all paid close attention to what he said, for with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. One man takes a city. Because they got Pentecost with all the signs. The evidence was the speaking in tongues. But another seven signs followed them because they'd received the Holy Spirit. Church, how many of the seven do we have? How many of the seven? In fact, eight if we include tongues. What about the other seven? Are we witnessing? Do we witness with power? Do we follow it up with the laying on of hands? Are we living in love? Are we selflessly serving? Do we pray with purpose? Are we working the word? They moved in miracles. And then the last thing, and I've already touched on it, they were frequently, frequently filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, I just love it. You know, Colossians 3.16, I didn't mention it earlier, but this is a result of being full of the Word. Colossians 3.16 says, let the Word of Christ, let the Word of Christ, and obviously we can include the whole Word of God, But the more we see Christ in the word, the better. Because let the word of Christ dwell in your hearts richly. Listen to this. In all wisdom, dwell in you richly. In all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. In psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Singing with grace. If you understand the word of Christ, you'll be singing with grace. What was the result of the word of Christ dwelling richly in their hearts with all wisdom? They were teaching, they were admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Just look at that verse just a bit longer. And I want you to notice that the manifestation of the richness of the indwelling word flowed out and blessed others. There was an other's expression to the word. Are you following me, church? Come on, if we're in Pentecost, How many people are being blessed by you? What is the overflow of your life? Who does it touch? How many does it reach? Okay, Ephesians 5.18. Look at the consequences of the indwelling word. 
Ephesians 5.18 tells us this. We can do it in the New King James Version as well. It's beautiful. And it tells us, be not filled with wine, wherein is excess. Okay, there's that there. Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, or debauchery, or excess. Okay? Dissipation is another word for, I, I don't know, maybe misbehaving or something like that. In which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Why? Why would the Apostle Paul, why would he draw similarities between being overfilled with alcohol to being overfilled with the Holy Spirit? Why? You can draw so many similarities. Just look at a drunk person. That's what we should look like. See how they act. That's how we should be acting. I mean, have you ever seen how bold a drunk person becomes? A little guy like this is trying to box someone that's six foot 20 because he's incredibly powerful in his own eyes now. They are just with reckless abandonment. They speak and they talk and the bravado and this kind of thing. Why do you think it's called, uh, I've had a little too much, I feel a little bit happy? Because they've forgotten their worries. They've forgotten the issues. You can just carry on and on and on. He hasn't got money. He's gone in and he's spent it now, but you know, he'll tell the bomb and give around to everyone in the pub. Listen, I was there. I was the, I was the duty driver in the army because I was the only sober one. So they told me, you go and get your license because you don't drink. You're only ever the sober one. So I, when we had a break, I had to drive them all to the pub. Then I would pick them all up and pour them into the back of the Land Rover or the F-250. Then I would have to take them out, carry them and stick them in their beds and sometimes change them because they were paralytic. They were called motherless drunk. So, I mean, I saw, I saw, I saw what drunk looked like. And I know there's extremes, you know what I'm saying. But when, when are we going to exceed our normal little limits of the Holy Spirit to where he affects us somehow, where it changes us? So Ephesians 5.18. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Let's look at verse 19. Oh, Exactly similar to Colossians 3.16. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Woo. Verse 20 says, and giving thanks. See, if you're full of the word, you should be full of the spirit. And if you're full of the spirit, you should be getting full of the word. But the results should be the same. Amen. In other words, there should be a manifestation. There should be a bubbling over. There should be a, an effect on others. Amen? When you open your mouth, an exhortation pops out. A revelation pops out. A prophecy pops out or a prayer pops out or something comes out of you. Something is manifest from your life. Come on. Because the Holy Spirit is uncontainable, but yet we contain Him. He's unrestrictable, yet somehow we restrict His presence. But, but we should be letting the lion free. I like what someone once said to C.H. Spurgeon, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. They were talking about uh, something about his preaching anyway. But, and uh, something about defending the lion or something. And um, C.H. Spurgeon said this, <clears throat> you don't have to defend the lion. Just open the cage. Come on, the line of tribe of Judah is in us. And the Bible shows us more than one place he's roaring against his enemies. Amen. But we shut the mouths of lions, or of the lion. We need to let the lion of Judah express himself through us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Come on, one week after Pentecost, what do we look like? Have you prayed any more this week? Have you studied any more this week? This has been a, a time where we're supposed to be celebrating Pentecost. However, you know, we've still got some time. Amen? Amen? So let's give ourselves to these things and be filled afresh. 
Why don't we just apply what we've heard this morning? Why don't we apply? If we can't apply all of it here, which we can't, why don't we make a decision? You know, I'm going to watch this thing again. I'm going to write those seven points down, and I'm going to do something about the message this morning. Because one week after Pentecost, we should be looking a whole lot different. Yes. Amen? Yes. Okay. Pastor John's not angry with you this morning. All right. I'm exhorting you this morning strongly. Are you all good? Yeah. Are you all good? Yeah. Amen. So I just want you to stand quickly, and I want you to respond in your hearts to the Lord. If anything that stood out in the message, I want you just to get busy with God. We're just going to just do two minutes, all right, three minutes. I want you to get busy with God. Acknowledge what, where He touched your heart this morning. Acknowledge, respond. Say, right, God, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm, I, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to be fearless. I'm going to be bold. One of the things that I discovered is that when the Holy Spirit comes in you, and when we start to reach out and do things, He doesn't take the fear away. You're still afraid. But He gives you boldness to overcome your reticence. He gives you boldness to overcome the fear. And when you step out and do it, ignoring the fear in obedience to God, then something happens. Then He kicks in. Are you all following me? We're talking one week after Pentecost, and we're just going to be moving with greater things, greater power. Is that right? Come on. I want all the seven, all the eight signs of Pentecost in this church. All eight of them. All eight of them. All eight of them. All eight of them. So we're responding right now. What touched your heart when I was preaching? What, what, if not all of it, if there was one particular aspect, I want you to respond and say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I'm going to do something about that. That will change. That I'm going to implement. That's what I'm going to do. Come on. Selfless service. Worked the word, prayed with purpose, and all of the others preached with power, moved in miracles. Come on, just respond to the Lord, right? Why not use this opportunity just to be filled fresh? Filled fresh. Yes, Lord, our hearts are stirred by a noble theme. Lord, give us tongues that speak like a ready writer. What He gives to me, I will speak. You've given us a lot. So, Father, I just speak blessing of your people this morning. Father, I declare that this is a place of revival. This is a place of continuous Pentecost. This is a place of the Holy Spirit where He dwells. Father, I want to thank you that worship, word, wonders flow out of this place. Father, I want to thank you that selfless service takes place in this church. Father, I want to thank you that our core values are the kingdom and its commission and the empowering of your Holy Spirit. Father, I decree, I declare that we are not mere people. We are not fleshly. We are not carnal people. But we are spiritual people and mighty and powerful in word and in deed. Anointed to go around delivering all those who are under the power of the devil because you have anointed us to do it. May we exhibit who we are. May we manifest our mandates. In the name of Jesus, I speak your blessing over your people. In Jesus' mighty name, we all agreed and said, Amen. Amen.